0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all from
1: NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. This week, we are taking a break from the news, a thing we all have to do sometimes. We're taking a break to bring you conversations with two stars from two shows that are both in the running for Outstanding Comedy Series at the Primetime Emmy Awards in just a few weeks. A bit later in the show, you'll hear from Greta Lee. She stars in Russian Doll, the hit dark comedy from Netflix. But first up, Dan Levy from Pop TV's *Shit's Creek. Gotta let you know... Schitt's Creek is spelled S-C-H-I-T-T-S, okay? Dan Levy stars in the show alongside his father, comedic legend Eugene Levy. You may know him for his work in the American Pie movies, among other things. Dan and Eugene made Schitt's Creek together, and the show ends next year with its sixth and final season. In the show, Eugene and Dan play the father and son in a wealthy and self-obsessed family, a family that suddenly becomes very, very poor. So poor, in fact, they have to live in a motel in a small town they bought as a joke. I asked Dan what parts of the show were inspired by his own life and which were not.
2: Well, I think there's a big difference between... Because, I I mean, in my life, I I have led a comfortable life. My parents uh, have... My dad has managed to succeed at his craft. Um, So, you know, it's not like I was struggling in my life Mm -hmm. but one thing that I think the big discrepancy between you know people who have grown up with families who have money and Mm -hmm. what I'm playing on this show is the choice for these parents to give their children everything Mm -hmm. Um, and that was sort of where my path really diverted from this characters because you know at 15 my parents sort of dropped me off in front of a gap kids and said don't come home until you have a job application (laughs) So it was not made, even the real gap. The gap, it was, kids. no kids. Well, I chose kids because I didn't want to deal with people my own age. I was too anxious at the time, and like I can deal with parents and kids. I don't want to deal with people from my class at yeah. school. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were adamant that I earn my own money, mm-hmm. that I know the value of a dollar, mm-hmm. that I never take for granted the experiences that happen mm-hmm. um in my life, and as mm-hmm. a result, I have been you know working from the time it was legal to work um and have been paying my own way ever since so which is good which is how it should be yeah <laughs> but there are so many people out there families who have who are drowning in money who fix problems who spoil who um there's just this culture of wealth now where it's almost like the children become status objects for the parents oh yeah so if the children have lots of money and go on expensive vacations and you know are bought expensive homes they are essentially sort of these weird appendages oh, totally. of this which I think is a strange thing and something that I found very fascinating which is why I ended up writing this show um, and you wrote it with your dad, so like were I wrote you, it with my dad. Yeah, were you inspired by seeing spoiled rich brats well, in life? It was like seven years ago, so it was around the peak of the housewives and the Kardashians, yeah. and um, oh, it's still peak housewife for Sam Sanders. I mean, <laughs> it'll never, never go away. Listen, it's only on an upward trajectory. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but I remember at the time having such an intimate understanding of how these people lived their lives. Mm-hmm. To the point where I'm like, do I, how, what, this is taking up space in my brain. And like, no offense to all of these people, but you know, I think these reality shows really allowed the masses to feel like, in a way, they're living vicariously through these people or it's aspirational or whatever. And I felt like we had now this whole sort of world to play with, a world that most of us now know exists Mm -hmm. and and sort of know the inner workings of Mm -hmm. so if we were to take advantage of that in terms of just a core premise and say well what if one of these families families who seem to alleviate the problems and the burdens of family drama by just throwing money at issues and buying gifts as solutions instead of actually sort of working out the guttural sort of like Mm -hmm. yeah day-to-day of of how it works as a as a family dynamic um That could be a really interesting sort of world to play with. Yeah. Uh, This family has lost everything and now they have to just live... With the, with the basics. Yeah, in this town called Shits
1: Creek. Right, which, which was the family purchased. Bought.
2: My dad on the show bought it for me as a joke because <laughs> of the name. We thought it was very funny. The family had no intention of ever having to move there. Yeah, and um, they had to move there and stay in two adjoined two hotel adjoining rooms. Motel, motel rooms. rooms. They'd yes, kill for that's... it to be a hotel room. <laughs> um, and, you know, for us from the very beginning, it was always... Uh, intended to be an exploration of family values and Mm -hmm. what is really important at the end of the day when all the money is gone and when all the materialism is sort of stripped away Mm -hmm. what's left Mm -hmm. and what is what do you really need to get by as a family and ultimately i think the answer is love when you so you went to your dad with the idea Mm -hmm. was he like or was he like yeah well he was very excited. Okay. He was very excited. Had y'all worked together before? <clears throat> no, I okay. think that's part of the reason. I think growing up uh, uh, in Canada, I got a job at MTV very early on, and I worked there for about eight years. You as were a personality. You host. I was stuff. a host, yeah. Um, and we ended up doing some stuff here uh, with MTV. We worked for The Hills. We did their, their after, the after show for a long show. time. But it was still based in Canada. Um, and I was hyper sensitive to... Uh, the label of nepotism Mm. going into that experience that I didn't tell anybody that I was who I was or who my dad was. When you were doing your stuff with MTV. When I was at MTV, at least for the first half, so four years. Really? You think folks knew? Whether they did or didn't, they didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I think most of them didn't. And it allowed me to find my footing Mm -hmm. and uh, realize whether I had it or not. And you did. And I i mean, I did in the sense that I was continually employed. Yeah. So <laughs> Which is a thing. I wasn't messing this up economy. that bad. Yeah. Um, and then once I felt like I had my footing and I, I had a voice of my own and that people were responding to what I was saying on television mm-hmm. f- for me, mm-hmm. um, I felt more comfortable to sort of let him in. Mm-hmm. And we worked a little, we did a few little sketches uh, for MTV at the time. Oh, nice. Um, and then when I came here, having left MTV... I felt like, A, the idea that I was bringing to him was strong and that I was, I knew what I was talking about and I felt yeah. like I could bring... Well, because brain... you had
1: watched these reality shows and also had after shows about some of these reality shows. Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, if I were to sort of like connect the dots through my sort of strange, <laughs> yeah, weird career on television, I'm sure it would, it all sort of led to this. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I could sort of... Stand my own ground with him, mm-hmm. and that I wouldn't be taking advantage, or that I wouldn't be sort of coming to him, relying on him to get me work or mm-hmm. get me something. I mean, you could both do the heavy lifting. We could both be in it together. I mean, I'm not going to lie; he definitely helped in terms of opening doors and getting meetings. Yeah. Um but it was the idea ultimately. And it was your idea. Um, well, it became our idea, but yeah. it started as mine. Sure, yeah. um, that that ultimately got us on television and it really sort of we we sat down and and started talking and you know it was an idea that i thought could use his sensibility his comedic sort of sensibility what he had brought uh to the the Christopher Guest movies that he had co-written with Chris and um and we started working on it and his process w- was very different than mine How and so? it was he's incredibly thorough hmm. and at the time i didn't have a process so it was just <laughs> generally yeah. different yeah um but it was i mean working with him Behind the scenes and and then on camera has really been the greatest masterclass in comedy and and acting that you can have. I mean, you can't pay for that kind of yeah uh, experience. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it has not gone. I've not taken a single day for granted. It's good. And so like, you have this idea.
1: You and your father write this, create this, but then also. Your sister is in the show, too. This is like a family affair. (laughs) Yeah. And my whole thinking in prep for this interview, I was like, I can't imagine any world in which I went to work every day with a parent and a sibling. I would go, it's wild. Do you like it?
2: She Sure. You Here's the thing, say that. even when it, even when things, I mean, w- working with family, partic- I mean, my sister and I get along really well and we get to see each other on set and she'll come in a couple times a week and that's been great. I mean, working with my dad every day, it's one of those things where you have to almost make a conscious effort to try to react differently mm-hmm. in situations where there's discrepancies or where you have disagreements because the reaction would be like, oh, can you just, I hate you ah. But you're on a um, set with,
1: like, other people.
2: <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, you have to almost draw a line for yourself. Um, but at the end of the day, we both have the same end goal for the show. So all any sort of conflict or discre- discrepancy or, or disagreement will be resolved because whoever has the better idea that serves the show the best will, in a, in a way, win. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Also, to sort of look back at this from sort of like a, a meta standpoint, mm-hmm. to have a, a, you know, six or seven or however long the show goes, yeah. to have that kind of chapter of your life that you've gotten to share with your family that's not only in the memory bank but also documented, documented. Is, uh, is something a lot of people don't get. It's so, a scrapbook. It's a scrapbook. I love it. So I'll
1: you know tell friends and family what I'm preparing for in the show. Mm-hmm. Everyone that I talk to, who I'll, I'll say I'm going to interview, you know one of the stars of Shit's Creek, and they're like, "Oh my god, that show! <laughs> like it is. Are you so like the fandom is real? <laughs> like the people that
2: like this show love this show. Yeah. What is? What do you think that's about? Uh, it we're we're lucky. I think mm-hmm. we have really passionate, mm-hmm. smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, caring fans who feel the show in their bones. Mm -hmm. I think it's a combination of the show just being quite joyful, trying to send a message of love and acceptance. And I think that message being sort of put out into the world, it's in a way provided some kind of lightness or... Or escape yes. for twenty-one minutes and, and fifty yeah. seconds or however long you want to binge it for, um a way to sort of take your mind off of what's happening and and lean into joy for a little bit. One thing I notice about all of the characters is that they have really perfected this sense of comedic
1: timing, which is beautifully on display because you're not doing laugh tracks, you're not mm-hmm. killing it with like music and scoring, so you'll just like deliver this amazing joke and let it just sit there with you. But I my question is like Your comedic timing in the show is on the same level as your father's character. And he has been doing this stuff for decades. (laughs) What did
2: you learn? I mean, did you learn stuff from him in terms Uh, of just like being comedic on screen? Well, first of all, that's a wonderful compliment. Uh, No, uh, the character, I don't know where he came from, but he, it just happened. And it's funny because I was writing those scripts up until the night before we started shooting our very first day and it wasn't until that night that i sat down to learn my lines that i was like oh oh god (laughs) i I have a scene with katherine o'hara and my dad tomorrow and i don't even this is my first time acting since a lifetime movie that i did with misha barton (laughs) and i mean they they know what they i mean they're they're Incredible character actors, and they know they, each other because they, they know each together, other. They it can it. they they have an innate sort of gift to read a script and to extract a character from it. I had a very loose idea of what I wanted to go in with. Uh, I knew that he was really guarded, mm-hmm. and that he was using sort of a very sort of hard shell to protect himself. Mm-hmm. And when we sat down, I, I really do feel like I attribute a lot of him to. Catherine and my dad, and Annie, in those first few scenes where we started to be a family. Did your father give notes on set? It's like, you're not doing it like this. I know that's well, funny because we did shoot a presentation pilot a little bit before we, we got the green light to do a series. And uh-huh. I sort of did a version of David then, and he was very soft spoken. And in the show, he can tend to be a little like, you talk sort of in the butt, like there's a judgment that exists. <gasps> you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember my dad sort of coming to me. Saying, I don't know if the mics are going to pick up that kind of voice. Yes. Yeah. But I didn't know anything about mics at the time. Yeah.
1: But there was this essence of, which I love, like, it, almost an essence of, like, Tim Gunn, but even more condescension.
2: Oh, yeah. With, like, a combination of Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada. And Why is no one ready? Yeah. Her whole approach was that, like, really powerful people speak softly to force, force people to listen. listen. I love it. So... That
1: was Dan Levy. He is a star and co-creator of Schitt's Creek on Pop TV. It's spelled S-C-H-I-T-T-S. This show is up for Outstanding Comedy Series at the Primetime Emmy Awards in just a few weeks. After the break, Dan explains why he chose to make his character on Schitt's Creek pansexual and have that character live in a fictional community where discrimination basically doesn't exist. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. This week on the show, we're taking a break from the news to bring you conversations with two stars from two shows up for some Emmys in a few weeks. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from Weston Hotels and Resorts. At Westin, their entire reason for being is your well-being, which is why their wellness offerings are curated with one thing in mind, you An Eat Well menu crafted with fresh ingredients, an on-demand fitness gear lending program that allows you to pack light and stay fit, and their heavenly bed that helps you conquer the day by giving you a restful night. Explore at Weston.com. A member of Marriott Bonvoy. Support also comes from Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchised network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings, year after year, home after home. All that more they do? That's Home Services. Start your home search at berkshirehathawayhs.com.
2: Take a deeper dive into the art, lives, and legacies of Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, and the women who played a vital role in inventing American popular music. I'll be seeing. Watch videos, read essays, and hear the full Turning the Tables playlist at npr.org slash tables.
1: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. This week on the show, we are taking a break from the news. Because you need one sometimes. Instead, we're going to bring you this week conversations with two stars from two shows that are both in the running for Outstanding Comedy Series at the Emmy Awards, which happened in just a few weeks. Coming up from the Netflix hit show *Russian Doll*, actress Greta Lee. But first, more of my chat with Dan Levy. He is a star and co-creator of *Shit's Creek* on Pop TV. I want to dig into your character a little bit, David Rose on the show. Yeah, this is sweet uh, thing. I know. I really do like him. Just tries his best. Would you like to hang out with him in real life?
2: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's a lot. Describe him for folks that haven't watched the show yet. David Rose is uh, uh, an incredibly privileged uh, um, human being who has never really found his voice. Mm -hmm. And as a result, has sort of created a persona for himself that is uh, dependent on uh, an aesthetic, his clothes, what he wears, an entirely black and white wardrobe of highly architectural clothing yes and a a just as prickly a personality yes and in moving to the town david has in a way found comfort in the anonymity of living in this place and has allowed himself very very slowly to open up and reveal his wants and needs to people slowly and carefully and surely yeah um and uh, yeah, I think his he's a pansexual, so he's been able to explore all sides of the community. Oh yeah, <laughs> in Schitt's Creek. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and has eventually you know found love, and I think that has really changed his whole outlook and made him realize that he doesn't have to be as protective. That he um, that loving someone, that finding love in your family and finding love in a partner can. Uh, can allow you to feel safe Mm -hmm. in this world. Yeah. I love
1: the way that you handle pansexuality with this character. It is not the central defining Mm. thing about David Rose. It's just there. And there's this beautiful moment in which his character comes out to one of his partners as pansexual, Mm. and the word pansexual isn't even used.
0: So, just to be clear... Um, I'm a red wine drinker. That's fine. Okay, cool. uh, I only drink red wine. Okay. And up until last night, I was
2: under the impression that you, too, only drink red wine.
0: But I guess I was wrong?
2: I see where you're going with this. Um, I do drink red wine. But I also drink white wine. Oh. And I've been known to sample the occasional rosé. And a couple summers back, I tried a Merlot that used to be a Chardonnay, oh. which got a bit complicated. Okay, yeah, so you're just really open to all wines. I like the wine and not the label. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. So when that scene with you was? Uh, the lovely actress Emily Hampshire, uh, who plays Stevie Budd on the show. She's a, a dear friend and, uh, and really was quite wonderful in that scene. That's really good. Was that your idea? Uh, Yeah, I wrote that uh, section. uh, That's great. uh, I think it's, I don't know what episode it was. It was in the first season? Yeah, it was an analogy that that came to me that I thought was very much uh, a way of communicating uh, his sexuality that, again, didn't come with some kind of lesson or it wasn't heavy-handed. And not academic. I think you hear the word pansexual and, like,
1: you're like, what, what does this mean? Yeah. It's, it sounds harder than it really is. Yeah. And I think the way that you tackle it in the show made it really understandable. Yeah, And it didn't like, it wasn't you trying to
2: not be that as a character. It was uh-huh. just saying, let
1: me break this down for you real simple.
2: Exactly. And I think that sexuality right now is in such a wonderful state of... Flux. Flux. And all we can do with one another is try to inform people... As to what everything means, there's so many you know different terms. There's so many. Oh, yeah. There's a whole vernacular now yeah. that is that we're we're having to sort of understand, and it's all for the best. But I think we have to just approach this sort of new territory with mm-hmm. the idea that everything is as long as you're coming into the conversation with the best of intentions. Um, we can't create a judgmental environment. We have to be as open and accepting and. Malleable when it comes to okay, this person doesn't quite understand who I am. Yes, I'm going to tell you without preaching, being to you. offended yes. or without uh, you know uh, making you feel bad. Because ultimately, we should all be sharing in this in this process. Yes. And when people feel included yes. in the conversation, they're far more willing to cheerlead. Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of stand on the sidelines because they they they're scared. They don't want to of... get it wrong. Exactly. But I do feel like. If we can all come at it from a place of just optimism and the best of intentions. That's the thing. Assuming the best that intentions. that can... Yeah. Because the only reason people have had to take these stands is because somewhere down the line, someone decided to define mm-hmm. sexuality as one thing mm-hmm. and then splinter it off into two things. Mm-hmm. You know, if that were never in the equation, if sexuality was just what it was... And it wasn't always a binary thing. We forget. We would that, never like, be in this situation yeah. because labels are what have led to bigotry and intolerance and people feeling judged or people being persecuted. It's because someone has labeled someone else as different. Did you know from the start that you wanted your character to be pansexual? I did. Why? Um, I hadn't seen uh pansexuality represented on television, nor have I um, before. I mean, I'm sure it had been, but yeah. I, I hadn't. I wasn't aware. I thought it was interesting territory to explore Mm -hmm. um, for the character uh, and for the show. And and you aren't
1: burdening this character with MESSAGE, all caps. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when you see a first on TV in any capacity, there can be a desire Mm -hmm. to have that person be a brand ambassador and have them give respectability to this community or something. Uh I don't see that on his character which I, think, I appreciate.
2: Thanks. I mean, I think there's there's two ways of going about it, and I think it really depends on the message you're trying to send mm-hmm. and and ultimately on the medium, but I think mm-hmm. for us I guess the the stance that I took was that I'm going to show a life as it is in the world. Mm-hmm. It will not be questioned. Mm-hmm. It will be embraced. Mm-hmm. But there are some shows, I think, that need to be more educational in the way that they approach sexuality because of who they're speaking to or because of what they're saying. That just wasn't ever going to be what this was. There was going to be no um, homophobia. There was going to be no bigotry. There was going to be no... um, Magical dream world. (laughs) Listen, and, you know, I think there's, a, you know, people have said, well, are you, is that a responsible thing? Hmm. But at the end of the day, it's a choice. It's a choice that I made. Yeah. And it's a choice It's also that, a fictitious show. You can do it. It's a fictitious show. I can do it. And I also, you know, we've gotten the most incredible feedback from families across the world who hmm. have watched this show. Hmm. And I think because of the fact... That they aren't put in a position where they're forced to make a judgment, where Mm -hmm. parents are accepting of their children, where a small town Mm -hmm. um, is not raising an eyebrow to two men falling in love with each other. After one of them fell in love with a woman. After one of them has fallen in love with a woman. It has opened people's eyes and in a way made them look at themselves and say, well, why am I having this problem Mm -hmm. when these people don't don't have a have a problem? Why am I having this conflict with my child when it's so much easier just to love to love? And that has been the feedback that has really been that has brought me to tears because um, for that message to be sort of like going out there into people's homes and for people to be for families to be repairing relationships because of of what they're watching in our show is uh, is truly uh, incredible and and very humbling. Do you hear from pansexual people? Yeah. What do they say? I, a lot of them have just are, are really just excited that there's someone who represents them on TV, that mm-hmm. they watch a show mm-hmm. uh, where they can finally turn to their parents and say, hey, this look, this is it. <laughs> this is who I am. Yes. But yeah, again, the major feedback predominantly over social media is just mm-hmm. that that it's not they're not being taught a lesson that yeah. the the people are not it's not we're not spoon-feeding sexuality yes. to people so, so yes they like that it's sort of casually represented That was Dan Levy,
1: star and creator of Shits Creek. That show enters its sixth and final season next year. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, and today on the show, we're taking a much-needed break from the news to bring you two conversations with two stars from two shows that are up for Outstanding Comedy Series at this year's Emmy Awards. You just heard about Shit's Creek. Another show up for some Emmys is Russian Doll. Gotta get up, gotta get out, gotta get home the morning You might know this song from the Netflix show. And if you do know this song, you'll definitely recognize Greta Lee.
2: Happy birthday, baby!
1: That is Greta Lee. She stars as Maxine on the show. When this show begins, she is throwing her friend Nadia a birthday party. But Nadia, who's played by Natasha Leone, she keeps dying and reliving that same night and that same party.
3: Sweet birthday baby. What? What? Sweet birthday baby. Sweet birthday baby. Having fun? The it's universe like... is trying to f- with me.
1: This show follows Nadia's quest to figure out why she is stuck in a time loop. It was created and written and directed entirely by women, including Leon herself, Amy Poehler, and the playwright Leslie Hedlund. Readily spoke to my NPR colleague and friend, our regular guest host, Julia Furlan. She told her about what made this group of women so special.
3: Because I've worked, you know, I've worked with other women before. Shocking. Yeah. Um, but there's this, like, shared quality amongst us. Well, first of all, I think, like, everyone's kind of a theater nerd, secretly, or maybe not so secretly. Um Leslie Hedlin is like f- extremely prolific playwright. Um, I remember Rebecca Henderson, incredible mm-hmm. stage actor Natasha too. Yeah, Natasha did a stage bunch work of stage work under her belt. Yeah, there's that, and there's also this. And I hope I'm not like speaking out of turn here, but there's this sort sort of like shared, self identifying like underdog quality, to the group. Yeah. Which, by the way, is very, very difficult to uh, when our sh- our show is, on IMDb is is number one. Right, it's like so a super it's, success. It's really weird. It <laughs> feels Nobody's <ready>. very strange, <laughs> and everyone. I think you know it's um, incredible, but I think for self-identifying like underdogs, we are used to being ignored or rejected. So this feeling, what is this feeling? so uncomfortable. Uh, The hives are success, actually. Oh, oh, is that what it is? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) My, My, like, cortisol cream is, like, really not. I need something stronger. Yeah. And I think so in the making of the show, it never felt like we were doing anything other than trying to tell this kind of, like, punk, dark, twisted, absurd story that was, you know, I think everyone kind of felt like we're good. Let's just go Go for broke and see. And now to have it have this response, like it's it's neat to feel like these very personal um, themes and, and life experiences can be so universal. I mean, that does feel like very life affirming. And yeah, And yeah. I've seen a lot of writing
4: about the show that says that it's a dark show that is deeply life affirming that, mm-hmm. you know, like the underlying my my friend and former colleague Bim out of wrote this wonderful piece. About how it's a show that ultimately tells everybody that you need to choose each other and sort of like choose the goodness in the world and move towards that no matter what. Right, right. I I have a theory about it. Are
3: yeah, you ready? I'm this is so exactly ready.
4: what you want: is a person giving you a theory about a yeah. thing that you made, a piece of art. But it feels like a very New York show, um, and I think the underdog it quality and the sort of like self hating but also relying on other people. These are things that New Yorkers have to do and choose to do over and over and over again.
3: Yeah. It's like we're living our own time loops, as New Yorkers. <laughs> Every day it's like I just barely survived. Like almost died four times. Let's try it again. Exactly. Like what come are we gonna on? do? C train? What Gotta you got? Get up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
4: um Yeah I feel extremely New York about that and like really kind of proud that it's a show that is of that world Mm -hmm. so I watched it in four days yeah, just like a marathon I consumed it so like in one fell swoop I wonder how you feel about people consuming something that you tried so hard to craft and that has been so many years (laughs) in the making and then people consume it just like all in one fell swoop like it's a cheeseburger and they haven't eaten (laughs) all day do you have feelings about that, like the way the audience comes to your work?
3: Well, I didn't, but now I do. Sorry, now, now you now feel like that. Now I'm getting worked up about it. <laughs> I, yeah, the scale, the, uh, I guess that is that is also very Russian doll. The time is, um, with TV shoots, it takes so much longer than right. people think. Even, you know, <laughs> I initially thought, okay, this is going to be the easiest shoot. Look at the script time loops. Really? Love a time loop. Great. We're going to shoot out that first party scene, sweet birthday baby, chicken, 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 smoke, smoke. You can just like keep using that, right? One and done? No. Turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Months and months. Yeah. I mean, of course. Like I, each time we reset, we were sort of treating it like its own show. Completely new thing. Yeah. And we'd start from the beginning and really sit down and meticulously plan out okay what just happened how did she die the time before what is she looking for this next time all those things like we we, these are conversations that you guys had yeah basically I tried to phone it in but they wouldn't let me you know I was like (laughs) alright let's just come on chicken 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 let's go no
4: no did you have that preparation like were you carrying the previous world into your character too
3: um it was hard not to um I think it would have been easier if I could live in this vacuum where, yeah, I was just um, separated from all of that. But Natasha is so – she wears everything on her sleeve. It just – sometimes I say to her, I'm like, it's because, your girl, your eyes are so big. You just can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> she has a big face. She yeah, has big it's like, expressions. Yeah. It's like it must be hard for you because you, you can't hide anything on that on that face. No. And every time we got together to shoot those scenes, it just, yeah, it, it, it's harder to, to ignore that, is what I'm trying to say. That Right, um, like each time you encountered Natasha Leone, it was... She was different every time, yeah. Gotta get up, gotta get
1: out, gotta get home the morning. That was Greta Lee. She stars in the Netflix show Russian Doll. She was talking to Julia Ferlan, our regular guest host here on the show. More of their conversation after the break... I'm Sam Sanders, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR.
0: Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit betterhelp.com slash minute to learn more. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu.
4: It might be hard to pin down what makes a friendship really work.
2: I feel like we're like the Michael Jordan of friendships. Like you can't ask Jordan, <laughs> you can't ask Jordan how he does what he does. He's a freak of nature.
4: But clearly some people know how to do it. Check out Life Kit's new guide from NPR on navigating the highs and lows of friendship or subscribe to Life Kit All Guides for all of our episodes all in one place.
1: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. Usually on this show, we catch you up on the week of news, but this week we're taking a break from all that, because sometimes you have to. We've been hearing from Greta Lee. She stars in the Netflix show Russian Doll. Greta spoke to my NPR colleague and our regular guest host, Julia Furlan. She told Julia about her own development deal with HBO and how she thinks about underrepresentation as a Korean-American actor.
3: So it's this two-pronged thing where, of course, like, I want to shine a light on it and acknowledge that it exists, that there's, like, this huge vacuum in terms of representation. But then I feel like the most successful and progressive opportunities are ones where race is not the thing. There's never, like, well look at Asian Maxine over there making her like stir fry or something. Yeah, exactly. You're not like performing Asian-ness. Yeah, and it's not mentioned at all.
4: I think that that's one of the true signs of representation Mm -hmm. is basically not having to use shorthand and accepting characters in the larger context of their characters and not sort of like pointing to race things.
3: Yes. It's definitely, uh, there's been progress, but it's Still very rare. Like I still, (laughs) I have that moment when I walk onto set for the first time, and I have to confront my character's space, like her home or office cubicle or whatever it is, and I just clench because nine times out of ten, there's gonna be like some sort of like paper crane or like a set of chopsticks that are like inexplicably placed with the pencils and like right, like Hello Kitty. Like, oh God! It it's really weird that it still happens, and in, in these progressive environments too. It's messed up too. Yeah, I'm not going through my life as an Asian. Like, here's my Asian hand reaching for this cup, <sighs> taking a sip with my Asian lips, and like yeah. now I'm gonna go, you know, yeah, take there's the train a white as an Asian gaziness. person. Yeah. yeah, and then like the work it puts on me to you know put up a stink and say, "Excuse me," like, can we not with the Asian stuff and then like having to, you know, stop production to do that. I mean, it gets really exhausting. So that is more the norm, I hate to say. So when I have an experience like this where it's just not there, we can skip that and then we can just work and like and make these people people.
4: Um, so you had roles on Girls and Broad City and High Maintenance. And these are shows that really feel like ensemble performances where like. You see the characters on screen and you know that this might be like all made up in your head, but it feels like everyone has really good chemistry and maybe like they walk out of frame and they're like giggling to each other about that scene or they're going out for coffee or drinks or whatever later. Um, Is that something that you've cultivated on purpose in the community that you found in acting or was that sort of something that you walked into or am I making it
3: up because the
4: chemistry is so good on screen? (laughs)
3: Well, okay. I think that... I think what was ha- what was happening was... Um, there's, like, really this, like, movement, this, like, class of women in comedy who were coming up together at around the same time in New York. And I think that some of those relationships that you're seeing on these shows, for me, were happening in real life as right. we were all getting to know each other over the last few years. But, like, what you're seeing on camera probably... At that time, it was engineered. It's fake. It was just a ge- job. Ju- oh my god, acting is fake. It's not real,
4: <sighs> listeners. I'm so you sorry okay? to break this to you. Yeah. So you're saying that like it was a group of women in comedy, like Il- Ilana and Abby, yeah. And the the like UCB folk mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that that sort of like group of women in comedy were uplifting each other and yeah, recommending totally. each other for roles and whatnot.
3: Yeah, like uh, the f- way I met Amy Schumer. <laughs> I met her at a Noah Baumbach movie audition. Neither of us got the part. Shocking! I don't think either of us even got called back. I mean, and it was one of those like New York moments after we were brutalized, <laughs> where we were taking the <laughs> elevator down, and we were just like, you know, talking and shop, and. and to say, like, how'd that go? How'd that go for you? I mean, just so miserable, right? <laughs> but that was right before Amy, uh, Inside Amy Schumer was going to come out. And that was right before I was going to, Lena was going to ask me to come read this part on Girls. We And we were just sort of like, you know, hey, I'm Greta. Hey, I'm Amy. Amy. And I was familiar with her stand-up. And, and then we were both at the table read for on Girls. Oh, interesting! Amy was there. I see. Um, and like when I think now about who else was there at the time, like Jessica Williams was there, um, and we were all part of like oh, like this group of women is just like okay, what's this show, Girls? Okay, and then that show came out amy schumer came out and i ended up getting to be on amy schumer yeah you amy. were on it all the time yeah but i mean it was such a different era like our holding for inside amy schumer season one was a homeless shelter and someone pooped on the floor during our lunch break oh god yeah so it'd be like okay amy amy come on we're setting up like cameras cameras setting up right now step over the poop oh step oh watch it, yeah, out it's human poop here we go nope um yeah I mean it seems like there's that that
4: shared hustle right like it was yeah. everybody was just like we're gonna grind and get through this so that we can eventually ask for more for ourselves right exactly
3: yeah and advocate for each other I remember Amy telling a, a group of us earlier on she was like you know sh- how did she say it She was like just write your own <laughs> just do it okay <laughs> she's like whip out those laptops go deca 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 just do it. I I, I forget who I was with. And it was the kind of advice you hear all the time from people. But, you know, she really meant it. And I think that's when she was writing Trainwreck. um. Right.
4: So it felt like it was coming from her heart and it was easy to understand. It was like easy to hear that.
3: Right. Right. Right.
4: So I feel like we're in a time where the categories for creators are sort of breaking down. Like, you don't have to be a comedic actor or a dramatic actor or just a writer or any one of these things. Mm -hmm. And Russian Doll feels very of that moment where, you know, people are behind the camera and in front of the camera and
3: they're writing and they're performing. What do you think about that? It's so tiring. We used to just be able to be good at one thing, just one thing at a time. And now, I have to be like an actor, writer, director, DJ. Social media slash star. Sh- ceramicist. <laughs> slash, you know, like beekeeper. Let me be good at one thing and go home and go to sleep and try again at that one thing. But no, we can't do that anymore. No, it's a great thing. I, I think that that is a result also from people realizing if we want to tell our own stories, well... No one's going to be better at doing that than yourself, right? It's like congratulations, you're your own writer's room. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, you just have to just do it on your own. Like you can't wait. Um, the show Natasha and Amy. It's been a, it's been years in the making, uh, we right. we did this pilot together, Old Soul, for NBC five years ago. Five right? years ago, it failed, and then that was this that planted the seeds for this. Which is, you know, much darker and is it much more more interesting? interesting? Oh my god! (laughs) Yeah, I have this picture of us in costume for this show for NBC. It's hilarious because I think it's it's set in New York. Uh huh. I mean, we are like the network TV. Can you imagine a network TV version of Russian (gasps) Doll? I instead of like gotta get up, it'd be like a Maroon Five song. (laughs) It would be. I mean, oh, yeah, and it wouldn't even be me. It'd be, like, Selena Gomez or someone. (laughs) (laughs) What what are we kidding ourselves? Fair, fair point. So it
4: feels like it was, like, a really lucky, wonderful thing that it happened. Yeah. That 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 you got this other chance to do it. It's a very Russian doll experience.
3: Again, but we're underdogs who are used to failure. So this is very confusing for us to accept that, like, (laughs) it worked.
4: I guess this is a good time to ask you about your future projects that you are writing.
3: Yeah, Please tell us about it. Tell
4: us everything you can about Korea Tech.
3: Okay. What can I say about that? I am working on a show with Jason Kim, who is also from Girls. um, Yeah. And uh, he's also Korean-American. And we first got together to write a different TV show. It's something else. And we – comedy. And I think at one point it was a girl with, you know, special superpowers. Really? Like, you
4: know – Something that you were asked to write or you guys got, no, together, got together and you were, and we're like, like, oh, we just like-minded. want to do something
3: different. Something yeah. fun, you know, like, something uh, yeah. for us. Yeah. Yeah. But not Asian specific. No, yeah. I think in on some level we were trying to avoid that. Yeah. Right? Um, because we, we get told that a lot. It's like, so well, when are you going to write like, you know, you're fresh off the boat or you're like um, all American girl. But that people, other people put you in a box where they're like, of. oh, you're,
4: you two are both Koreans. So, like, when are you going right. to write your Korean show? And exactly. you're like, we don't want to write a Korean show.
3: We just want to write a show. Right. Okay. So, we tried not to. And then, how'd that go? <laughs> well, I mean, we spent most of our time just like about our families <laughs> and also the trauma of growing up as an immigrant child. Um, and it just became so clear that this was a show that we were writing. Yeah. Um, and of course there are other elements that are involved. I mean, we—it's um, set in Koreatown, Los Angeles, and we are what else? I mean, it's so hard. It's like, can I say the things that I've known so that yeah, at, go at ahead. the very least they're Great. public. Yes.
4: So it's a family. It's it's a family sort of like drama, comedy, comedy drama, mm-hmm. dark comedy, mm-hmm. but it's about a crime family, right? Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting sort of destruction of the model minority myth, yeah. perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what you meant to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I mean, I feel like, is it going to be an all Asian cast or mostly Asian cast? And mostly Korean cast, maybe? It's going to be all Costa Rican, actually.
3: Great. Great. Um, oh, that's, Pura uh, Vida. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, the family is a Korean family, yes. yes. Uh And yes, they are embedded in some sort of crime. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yes, we – I think, like, we weren't setting out to, like, break down this model minority. It was more we don't come from perfect families. Right. And – I, we don't identify with that. Like, I, so much of my trauma as a child was never fitting into this box. And, you know, I was too loud. I wasn't ladylike enough. And I, you know, I was like pretty good at math, but not good enough. Like, I just never fit in um, to that. And so I think at the end of the day, we're just, we're making a show that works. A show that works involves multi-dimensional characters that are real that means they're not going to be perfect people yeah um and I have to say what's been interesting almost immediately was this isn't to say this has been the the uh primary response but there have been voices who already were sort of pushing back on this idea I want to I want to say like a protectiveness of oh wait a second How are you going to portray us as a community? Right. This is our one shot. Yeah. Which I get because I felt that way in my life. Like, where are we? We're absent. Like, Mm -hmm. so if you're going to be portrayed, finally, I guess you want to come across as, like, good. Look, as a
4: Latina who has refused to watch any, like, cartel movies, Mm -hmm. it's (laughs) – I think it's a a valid question to think about, right? Like, but – I do feel like there are fewer career. I mean, I, I haven't watched a, a ton of like K dramas or whatever, but like I've, at least in the United States, HBO, Netflix world, I haven't seen a, a K town yeah, yet.
3: Us either. So that's what we're after. Um, we're excited. We're writing. And you're in it,
4: mm-hmm. which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Have you written a role that feels closer to who you actually are or further away from who you are?
3: Uh, where we've landed is some sort of mix of myself and also people in my life and my family, um... It's going to be a combination. Like, your
4: sister's going to watch it and be like, how dare she? She's
3: dragging me secretly. She's taking this tiny
4: bit of me. (laughs) And she's performing, and Uh, I can tell.
3: Surprisingly, my whole family, they're so gay. My mom's like, so am I going to get, like, a producer credit? Like, she's like, she's got, I have stories. My dad's like, "I'm, I'm an actor, you know. My dad's a doctor. Like, he's not this... Just the way he's coming anywhere near that set. hes like, It's already, like, dressing kind of differently in front of me. I'm like, Dad, oh. are you auditioning? Are you auditioning for the show right now? Do, do you ever, like, sit
4: in the living room and your dad comes in and he just does starts doing a scene? Like an entrance? He's like, he's yeah. like hello. Right.
3: He's like, sorry, I'm going to take that again. Yeah. Yeah. Take so two. So great. Um, Greta Lee, yeah. thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me.
1: That was Greta Lee from the Netflix show Russian Doll. She was talking to our regular guest host, Julia Furlan. I'm Sam Sanders, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. This hour, we shared two conversations with two stars from two shows up for Outstanding Comedy Series at the Primetime Emmy Awards, which take place September 22nd. You can check out our podcast feed for more of everything you heard on today's show more Greta Lee, and more of my chat with Dan Levy, the star and creator of, and let me spell it first, S-C-H-I-T-T-S, Shits Creek. We're back next week with our regular wrap on the news and culture and everything else of the week. As always, in that show, we hear from listeners sharing with us the best things that have happened to them all week. If you want to be part of that, just record yourself and email that voice file to me at samsanders at npr.org. Samsanders at npr.org. You could be on next week's show or some other show, okay? Till then, thank you for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders.
0: Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast.
3: When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learn. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections.